Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the March 27, 2018 edition of Ask a Leader. It's Passover, Holy Week, and Nowruz continues to bring in the Persian New Year. This will be a backdrop for how we navigate the homeless crisis amidst the holiest of the holiest in Orange County, and especially in our fair town of Irvine. Today we have Mohammed Ali, attorney and founder of the Orange County Poverty Alleviation Coalition, along with Morgan Dangus and Jordan Hoiberg of the Orange County Catholic Worker to bring us right up to the latest policy lapse in the run to sh settle unsheltered homeless residents of Orange County. The Orange County Board of Supervisors, they're convening just about 25 minutes from, if you're listening to us live, uh, there at the center, this is a regularly scheduled meeting and they'll be hearing the various solutions or interim, we'll say, solutions to the homeless crisis here in Orange County. We'll be right back after a station break. Welcome back to the show. My guests for the whole hour are Mohammed Ali, attorney and founder of the Orange County Poverty Alleviation Coalition, and Morgan Dengus and Jordan Hoiberg of the Orange County Catholic Worker. Morgan Dengus is a product of Orange County and remains a lifelong resident here. He signed on to the Catholic Worker over a year ago from uh, now. His responsibilities are performing homeless outreach and advocacy work, which he deems are a, and I'm quoting him, a bit unorthodox, which uh, he has an opportunity, he can explain that, what, what that means, um, and make it apparent as we discuss the homeless crisis in literally our backyard. Jordan who, uh, Hoiberg, who hails from Orange County, attended Irvine Valley Community College, is currently a community member of the Orange County Catholic Worker. He helps manage the Orange County Catholic Workers Outreach at the Civic Center Homeless Encampment and among the hotels currently housing those displaced from the Santa Ana River Trail homeless encampment. Jordan is also named plaintiff in the Orange County Catholic Worker et al. v. Orange County et al. We'll talk about that with our legal beagle. Mohammed Ali was born in Orange County to Egyptian parents. His advocacy work began in 2009 where he led the campus chapter of the Amnesty International at Orange Coast College. He started volunteering at Isaiah House, a Catholic worker home in Santa Ana for destitute women run by Dwight and Leah Smith. And that, that we'll talk about Isaiah too as we talk about the Catholic worker. Wherein he was successful in lobbying the county to adopt the restaurant meals program wherein homeless people, along with elderly and disabled CalFresh recipients, will in the future be able to use their EBT, food stamp cards at certain restaurants, and other places to purchase food. He later completed his law degree at the University of San Diego. As we cover this issue, the County Board of Supervisors is convening 9.30, just minutes from now, this morning for a regular meeting on the agenda will be the proposal to relocate 200 homeless residents to the county-owned property adjacent to the Great Park in Irvine, among other aspects. They'll, they know all about it, my guess. Morgan and Jordan join me in studio, and Mohammed is letting his cell phone do magic, we hope, for this whole hour. Let's first talk about the origins of the Catholic worker movement, the Orange County Catholic worker and the Isaiah House, in order to 
appreciate for us to appreciate your charge and the unfolding events of the unsheltered, the homeless here in Orange County. Who wants to take that one? Uh, so I can tell you a little bit about the uh, origins of the Catholic Worker Movement. Um, and everybody, every just for the first round, just say your name. So yeah, you this is uh, this is Morgan Dengis at the uh, Orange County Catholic Worker, and uh, the Orange County Catholic Worker is part of the broader Catholic Worker movement across the country, uh, which started in uh, the 1930s um, in uh, the city of New York. Um, during the Great Depression. Uh, it was started by a woman, Dorothy Day, and a man, uh, a man Peter Morin. Um, Dorothy Day had previously written for a number of uh, workers' newspapers at the time, um, and uh, she met Peter Morin in New York City, uh, and he was a devout Catholic, and she converted to Catholicism. Um, and sort of melded the Catholic social teaching with um, the broader labor movement at the time and and thus the Catholic worker was was born uh, originally as a newspaper um, and they would write about um, issues pertaining to the poor of New York City and uh, eventually the poor of New York City started showing up at their office um, where the newspaper was printed and saying things like well you you know talk about helping the poor here we are and uh, so they started handing food out of their office where they would print this newspaper um, and eventually the newspaper office was converted into what we call a house of hospitality um, and they would have people that stay there people that would come there to get food people that would come there to get clothing um, and they started practicing um, what Catholics call the the corporal works of mercy um, and there are seven corporal works of mercy um, most of which pertain to um, the poor and homeless uh, they are uh, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, um, care for the sick, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, uh, visit the imprisoned, and bury the dead. And um, eventually other houses of hospitality um, started sprouting up around the country, first on the East Coast, then in the South and the Midwest, and eventually uh, on the West Coast. And um, they uh, there's no central authority to the Catholic Worker Movement. It's, it's sort of anarchist in its roots. And um, so every every Catholic worker community around the country interprets its mission a little bit differently, but it's all rooted in these these seven corporal works of mercy. Um, and uh, the Orange County House um, first came up out of the uh, L.A. Catholic worker community um, as Orange County began to grow in pop grow in population. Um, some of the members of the um, Los Angeles Catholic worker um, decided to come a couple miles south and uh, begin an Orange County Catholic worker. Um, Straight to Santa Ana, uh, or was yeah. it Orange, where some where the mission, some of the the sisters are settled. Um, it was Straight always to, in oh. Santa Ana, okay. um, but it's always had good ties with the uh, other religious communities around the county. Um, so you know, like the Sisters of Saint Joseph in Orange, like you mentioned, um, we we work with them pretty routinely. Um, there's also Mary's Kitchen in Orange, which is not affiliated with the Catholic Worker, but again, they do great work, and we we love to work with them. Um, they uh, have always been in Santa Ana, and the house itself has been at a couple different locations. Um, in the early 90s, they um, bought uh, what's today called Isaiah House, um, and uh, they converted it into a house of hospitality for women. Uh, like you mentioned in the intro there, um, we have um, somewhere close to about 30 women staying at our home right now. And the Catholic workers, there's, there's four of us right now. There's myself and, and Jordan, as well as uh, Dwight and Leah Smith. And uh, we live in community there um, with um, the women that also live at the house. Um, and we coordinate all of our, our outreach and advocacy work out of this house. Um, so we have a, a big commercial kitchen in our home, um, and we routinely prepare meals for um, hundreds of people, um, which we then take down to um, different homeless encampments or individuals around the county. And um, that's really where we begin our engagement there. And now How many women are there? 
Um, somewhere around 30 right now. It, okay. It does fluctuate. And how long? What's like an average day? You know, it really depends Attends. because we don't have um, one of the big differences between the Catholic worker and other forms of, of outreach and advocacy work is the fact that we're we're not rooted in some kind of program. We don't have some kind of system. Um, we try to meet the needs of each individual that we work with. So some people, it might just be a week. Some people, it's been five years. Um, it really it really just depends on what the need for the individual is. And we're going to break down a lot of different definitions later on, but it was really important to sort of spring from what the Catholic worker is all about, your advocacy and how that leads right into what's literally, it's literally blowing up here in Orange County with the, and, and the trends aren't, uh, the trends are only bringing more people into uh, to this utter need for shelter. Well, that that was helpful. Now, uh, yeah, back onto the terms then. I don't know that I even um, have understand what are the better terms. There's uh, there's different designations, the unsheltered versus the homeless. There's chronic homeless. There's supportive housing out there. So um, then there's temporary housing. There's tent encampments. So what's what what are the the, the best terms of the the movement to describe where different people are in this? Well, I think we're really using terms this is Jordan. that have, uh, sorry, yeah, this is Jordan That's with the, the Orange County Catholic Worker. Uh, I think we're really using terms that have been defined by the federal government and by HUD. So when we're talking about- For many, about, many decades. Yes, yes. So when we're talking about like chronically homeless people, for example, we're talking yes. about people who have been homeless for a period of longer than a year and also have a disability. Uh, when we're talking about unsheltered people versus sheltered people, we're talking about people that are living out in the streets as opposed to emergency or transitional shelters. Um, you know, emergency shelters are shelters where people could just show up for the night and stay. There are very few rules. Where transitional shelters are shelters where people need referrals, and their goal is to eventually transition people out of homelessness and into housing. Um, so really, all this is part of what's called the continuum of care, uh, which is our uh, system in Orange County for addressing homelessness. And um, it's really about addressing uh particular needs, for example, mental illness or addiction first before transitioning people into housing. Okay. And as far as the the Catholic worker housing, that's, you've, you've got, a, as you were saying, Morgan, there's a, a for everything from some, uh, for a temporary to chronic homeless in, that are in, occupying there. Yeah, and and it should be noted that that at the Catholic Worker Movement, we we really do kind of reject this continuum of care model that the county has used for for a very long time now, and it's sort of the normal uh, model that's used across the country. Sort of ad hocing. Yeah, yeah, um, and um, this. Uh, this model, it, it, it basically is the idea that if you address the underlying causes of homelessness before you address um, the actual issue of, of homelessness, if it, before you house somebody, that they will become unhomeless. If you, if you say, treat the addiction issue or the mental health issue, or um, if it was a medical, expe medical expense, if you, if you treat with that, um, that they will uh, find housing and, and find work. Um, we really don't um, have that kind of... Um, attitude when it comes to, to, to homelessness. We're, we're much more of taking an individualist and a personalist approach um, when it comes to that. Um, and also we embrace in terms of um, a model for, for the government and for, for, for the country, uh, a housing first model, which flips the continuum of care on its head and basically says, yes, there are these underlying causes of homelessness. However, the best way to address those is to get somebody housed first. And then once they're housed and you know where they're going to be and they have some semblance of stability, then you can target them with addiction treatment or mental health services or whatever it might be that led to them being homeless. 
Um, so, so we really do um, kind of reject that continuum of care model. Okay, Jordan. Um, I think that yeah, the key difference and um, how we address it from the county is the county has kind of a bureaucratic standpoint, whereas the theological underpinning for what we do is this idea of personalism, which is that each individual is made in the image of God, and you need to treat them therefore as individuals and address their individual needs um, on a human-to-human level as opposed to bureaucratic structures. Okay, we've got Mohammed out there, and I know he's swirling around here, and he knows all about this, and he's he's our our legal mind, and and he wears the advocacy hats and all that. So, um, I'm I'll bring in some of the data points in a bit, but I want to hear from you to talk about where we are right now. Before we'll get into the cast of characters, but there is the SB two homeless shelter law, Irvine. The city of Irvine is the only municipality that has designated property, which happens to be, it's a 100-acre parcel adjacent to the Great Park. It's the only city designated for this kind of use. And let's have you talk about the role that this county property, uh, the, the relationship of this county property inside the incorporated area of Irvine and what uh, what kinds of legal issues are going on while we talk about before we go into the whole central casting part of this show, Mohammed, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, I, I was just talking about the SB2 homeless shelter. I guess I didn't have your uh, module on there. That the Irvine is the only municipality that has a designated parcel for and, and a use for this kind of a structure to accommodate well, homeless. Yes. Well, well, okay, so... Every single city has, by state law, been required to to designate certain SB2 zones. So the SB2 uh, law from 2008, SB2 Studio, uh, required cities to designate certain areas where developers could propose shelter by right. And there's very little a municipality can do if a developer wants to construct a shelter in one of these SB2 zones. It doesn't require cities to build shelters. It just requires them to change their zoning laws. So this parcel of land is clearly in Irvine's SB2 zone. If you look at their general plan, it's part of the housing element um, that they comply with SB2 by designating this parcel of land. And that goes back to 2010, right? That's 2010 that was designated. Right. And the county, the county has certain parcels of land that it owns in places across Orange County. And there are few county-owned properties that are located in city SB2 zones. And this is one of them. Okay. And so and the, what does Laguna Niguel and Huntington Beach also have it? And that's why the, the county board of supervisors are, are considering them? Or is it that it's not as distinct? as it has been transacted in Irvine? Well, I mean, the the county basically looked at all of their inventory of property. They've looked at which properties fall into SB2 zones. And they've also looked at which properties are developed, which ones are flat and and can accommodate some kind of facility um, that they're trying to erect very quickly because they're getting sued and they have to provide additional shelter beds. It's, It's abundantly clear at this point that the people that were displaced from the riverbed are far outnumber the available shelter beds. Right. So they, 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 you know, hurriedly proposed these three sites. Um, they are currently undoing their vote from last week to propose all three of these sites, but they are probably going to move forward with Irvine. 
even though they're undoing their vote for me last week, they're probably going to redo it um, specifically for Irvine um, at some point, um, probably after the judge holds a hearing on April 3rd. Jordan wants to chime in with. Yeah, I think some background that Muhammad could go into uh, regarding to that, that undoing the vote and redoing it is that Irvine has filed a lawsuit against the county as well, um, alleging certain like CEQA violations and um, you know other violations of the law uh, when the county is trying to build this shelter. Um, so I, I think, could you go into that a bit, Muhammad? Yeah, so CEQA is an environmental protection law in California. Um, it requires certain environmental uh, impact reports to be done, and the county um, essentially proposed these facilities, and the city of Irvine is alleging that the county didn't comply with CEQA requirements. The county is also alleging that the county didn't comply with the Brown Act, which is a um, public meetings act that requires certain um, notice to the public. Irvine's alleging that uh, the county didn't provide that notice. Um, and then Irvine is just generally uh, claiming that this is going to be um, hurting their their residents, that it's going to be a nuisance. Um, so Irvine made all of those legal arguments um, in the lawsuit that Jordan mentioned. Um, but if the county undoes their vote, um, I don't see how this lawsuit doesn't get dismissed um, just because it's moot. It's moot. The, so, Irv- so Irvine's lawsuit goes away because the county's proposal goes away. And then I think what's going to happen is the county's going to have to reintroduce that proposal, um, but this time um, fix as many of those, uh, you know, CEQA and Brown Act uh, problems um, as, it, as it reasonably can. And, uh, and then it wouldn't surprise me if Irvine reintroduces the lawsuit. So this is going to be a very long and uh, lawyer-involved process. Um, but it's all being brought about um, because of the uh, the federal lawsuit the county's facing. One moment. I just want to let guests know who've just happened to join in. My guest, uh, the listeners that are just joining in, my guests are Mohammed Ali, you just heard. He's attorney and founder of the Orange County Poverty Alleviation Coalition, and Morgan Dangus, Jordan Hoiberg of the Orange County Catholic Worker. Jordan wanted to chime in then about that. Yeah, the, I just want to quickly case. add on to what uh, Mohammed is saying. Um, by pointing out that the only reason the county's in the situation of having to undo and potentially redo the vote is because of the fact that, um, you know, they had 30 days while people were in hotels to come up with a plan for shelters, and they essentially did nothing during that time. And now that 30 days are up, they are rehashing an old plan that was created by uh, Supervisor Sean Nelson over half a year ago, um, and just kind of throwing that out there. And, um, you know, it really is half-baked, I think. Well, maybe um, maybe I th- throw in an analogy. Maybe they, they were looking in, in for the red meat in the, the, the in that part of the grocery store instead of looking in, in the, the the produce and the bulk grains, <laughs> sort of. Oh, yes, more Mohammed, uh, did you have something to add? Well, also the county's examining the Fairview Developmental Center as another potential solution. The which per- I'm sorry, the it was the not Fairview, the, the Fairview, Fairview okay. Developmental Center, it, right in Costa Mesa. So, Costa Mesa. so let's go. I want to lay out all the cast that is involved in this story. We're breaking it all down. There's the homeless residents we've been talking about. There's Judge Carter. 
There's the County Board of Supervisors, Chairman Andrew Doe, Vice Chair Sean Nelson, Lisa Bartlett, who has the Laguna Niguel parcel on her sites, Michelle Steele with the Huntington Beach parcel on her sites, and Todd Spitzer representing Irvine, uh, all of Irvine except for the gated communities in the south. Then there's the Irvine City Council Mayor weighing in, Council Member Christina Shea, who was here during when the, the city of Irvine adopted that parcel in 2010. Five Point Communities is in there, in, this, in the mix, and Emil Haddad to some extent, San Ana Mayor M M Miguel Polido, and of course, everybody working at the, the Orange County Catholic Worker. Um, so let's, let's be... Yes, there, Morgan. There's one person that's that's kind of off that list there that I think is also sort of a central player in this, and that is the uh, attorney that's involved in the federal lawsuit. That's uh, Brooke Weitzman of the Elder Law and Disability Rights Center. That's right. Uh, I got him in my notes later. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but she she is also uh, a very fundamental player in this whole thing, and um, I mean we're on the phone with her constantly every single day as she has currently become the de facto coordinator for um, trying to get these hundreds of people that were displaced from the riverbed into. Uh, what few services the county is offering that are available and trying to make accommodations for all these people. So I think it's, it's very important to make sure that we include her in the central casting Absol as well. <laughs> a absolutely. So, and uh, I don't know how you felt about the coverage, gentlemen, um, but we, we got a good look at the concern that federal judge David Carter has given. He's been, he's walked the walk and, and he's gone and visited with the uh, those in the encampment along the the, the river, and uh, that was before the the dispersal. Correct. So, uh, his ruling bans the cities from enforcing any camping and loitering ordinances against the the homeless. Yes. Uh, not George. currently. I know he's threatening that right now. Okay. That's, that's part of our lawsuit, but he hasn't made any rulings on that yet. Okay. Okay, Mohammed, we need you here too. Okay, I'm here. Yeah. No, uh, so with the, the the parties that I was naming uh, in uh, the story here, as you say that the we're at the point where there is a rock in the hard place, and we've got we, it's it's an it is a civil emergency for how many people right now? Uh, well, so, you have probably um, I mean it's hard to say how many people are remaining in hotels and how many people have already been moved into shelters so that's an exercise in of itself that's like a demography piece yeah. local demography right and then you have uh, 200 people in the Santa Ana Civic Center which is another homeless encampment that Judge Carter wants to begin removing on April 2nd okay that's next that's next to Monday to Monday okay yeah Wow and uh, it's it, it Morgan so so we have uh, we have a couple hundred people that uh, I would say that originally in the riverbed prior to the dispersal, um, you're talking somewhere between 800 and a thousand um, people, and it does fluctuate depending on what time of the month and and what's sort of going on in the riverbed. But that's that's the number prior to the disposal or uh, dispersal. Um, well, yeah, Freudian <laughs> slip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some um, people want it disposed. Um, so once once they um, got people into um, into the motels, I think Jordan knows the exact number. But it was 730. Uh, well, it was 723 people placed in shelters or hotels. It was just under 700 people placed in hotels. So not a hundred percent of the people that were camped out in the riverbed um, took the took the hotel or shelter options, but the vast vast majority did, and um, they did that sort of on this promise that we made as advocates to them that 
we have this lawsuit. We know that a lot of the time the county has failed you in the past when you've when you've decided to engage with these services. The reason that so many of them are mistrusting of these services is because in the past when they have gone to a shelter or they have, um, you know, engaged with, uh, you know, the county services, um, they've just been failed. Um, they'll sign up for a housing list that goes nowhere. They'll get a voucher that they can't use. Um, they'll be put in a shelter that exacerbates their mental illness. There's, there's a myriad of reasons why people choose not to engage with these county services. And they chose this time to do it because we told them as advocates, we said, I know that it's, it's been, it's been bad before, but we're really hoping that something good is coming. And, um, you know, this we're, we're, we we kind of took their county at the word at their word here that that something good was coming, that that some change was on the horizon here, and we we trusted the judge to to really get involved and kind of hold them to this. But what about the county's behavior, generally, in terms of showing political will, sh showing leadership? What gave you that feeling, though? Primarily, it was um, the involvement of uh, David Carter, the federal judge that's hearing okay. the lawsuit. Um, His big stick. Yeah, he is. He is not. Uh, he's kind of a no-nonsense guy. Um, you know, uh, he's a former Marine, a real, real tough guy, um, and he knows a lot of these these members of the the board of supervisors and the county government. He knows the them Marines. personally. They yeah, know each other right? exactly, and. Um, so, um, I, and I still actually do have some confidence that, that we will be able to achieve something that will work for a lot of the people that are engaging with this. The question at this point is just, are we going to be able to get that while we work with the county and create something that's mutually beneficial and we're, everybody's happy? Or are we going to kind of have to drag them into this kicking and screaming the whole way and, and they're going to be fighting us every single step of the way um, and saying one thing at the Board of Supervisors and another thing at these city council meetings and another thing to the judge. And and right now it's looking, unfortunately, like the latter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Jordan? to point out some of the positive things I think are coming from this, you have $70.5 billion or, or million dollars, sorry, that the uh, Orange County Board of Supervisors have allocated from MHSA funding towards housing for the mentally ill. Uh, you have... Um, you know, people who do have extreme mental illness right now are continuing to be housed in hotels where they are getting mental health treatment. Uh, you have uh, the county tried to bring online more addiction treatment services, uh, which is good because it's very hard to get people into addiction treatment right now, even though it should be easy. And I mean, you have a lot of people where a shelter option is ideal, uh, you know, a transitional shelter that's better than perhaps the courtyard of the armory is something that they're looking for. So getting them all referrals to something like Bridges at Kramer is ideal. But you have a lot of people that kind of fall into the cracks between those those categories that I just talked about. Um, and it's kind of about trying to find adequate alternatives for them and convincing the Board of Supervisors to move towards a housing first approach and building the housing that these people need. Now, Morgan was talking about uh, uh, it's a fleeting reference to sort of uh, how threatened various homeless people are in less, I mean, totally less than desirable circumstances. And so I, if any of the three of you could just personalize it, turn up the volume a little higher for those that are insulated from the trials, the ordeal of, of these displaced, these uh, shelterless uh, individuals that like, do we do you have any kind of not 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 so much? I mean, data be hard to have. But so the incidence of rape for women that are in these encampments and what happens does that that incidence, if, if there's any way of tracking that, what happens when they're in some kind of transitional home? Is that like, go away, they're safer. They can take a breather from those kinds of assaults. Well, that's why a housing first approach is so important and why shelter isn't really adequate in responding to that. I mean, the shelters are secure places, but I mean, 
with a tight community like this, people run into other people they know. And to provide an example of that in Bridges recently, uh, a couple that we know, uh, the wife had been raped on the riverbed, and then her rapist had been placed in Bridges recently with, uh, with them in the same shelter. The same shelter that yeah. they were in. And I mean, the and county has now does, removed the person. Does anybody track that? Do- yeah. Uh, we, we brought it to their attention, and it was... You're tracking it as advocates. Right. We, we, as wow. advocates, we're tracking it, but we brought it to their attention, and it, it was ultimately resolved, but there was a day where this couple had to spend, you know, in this enclosed shelter... And they're having meals together, they're right. using latrines... Or, exactly, not to mention in you know. Bridges, because Jeez. the shelters become so crowded recently, with the county trying to place so many people right, from hotels... that's what Todd Spitzer's saying. Come on over here. They interspersed the men's and women's bedding. Okay. So, I mean, the judges ordered them to change that now, but they were trying to house men and women together for a period. Mohammed, we know you're there. Chime in. Yeah. So, <clears throat> one one thing that Mor- uh, Morgan also uh, referenced is how bad the data is on tracking people um, that have sort of fallen through the cracks, as uh, as referenced earlier. We really have no idea where people ended up, and the county has no idea where people ended up. And as a matter of fact, the, here, here was the process. Um, okay, the county great. descended on the riverbed uh, last month with a ton of county sheriffs, county uh, county uh, probation, um, some outreach workers from a nonprofit, and um, some healthcare agency uh, outreach and engagement workers. And um, it transported people to these motels. These motels were booked a lot of times without the without the owner's knowledge, without the management's knowledge that the county was placing um, really? people from the riverbed into their into their establishment. Um, and these motels are located all across the county of Orange. We have no idea how many people um, are still in these motels, where they ended up. Um, it, it, I mean, it's it's. It's basically fallen upon advocates to try to uh, track people down um, and try to keep as uh, comprehensive a list as possible. And thankfully, because of the amazing work of like the Catholic worker and other volunteers, we've built enough relationships with people. And the community itself has tried to um, stay together um, and not be fragmented. But, but, but I mean, there's online Facebook groups like the Santa Ana Riverbed Family uh, Facebook group. You know, there's. There's there's uh, ways of, of keeping together um, that the uh, that this community has really clinged uh, to in order to, to to support each other through this process. Um, with healthcare agency involved, there's a federal uh, uh, medical uh, uh, privacy act called HIPAA um, that oh, basically right. shields all of the data in secrecy. So, for example, um, if somebody was in a motel and they were in a they were in this motel for over 30 days in San Clemente. And they had um, a mental uh, disability that precluded them from going into one of the shelters that healthcare agency uh, recommended. So they did not accept that placement into the shelter. Um, That person would basically be left in San Clemente and maybe be given a taxi cab voucher for 25 bucks. Um, this isn't a hypothetical, by the way. This is what actually happened to the, the man last week. Okay. Um, so he was in this motel. was in this motel. They gave him a taxi cab voucher for twenty five dollars, which doesn't even get you a third of the way back to Central Orange County, um, where he was originally located. Um, and essentially, he's dumped in San Clemente. And cities should be up in arms about that, and so should um, advocates. 
Um, but because HIPAA protects the county uh, from releasing this data, uh, th- that is what's insulating them from political responsibility for essentially scattering um, a great number of homeless people um, to the you know, four corners of the map um, without you know, us being able to keep track of them. That's, that's really a problem is that we don't have an answer for you on how many people are in these hotels or where they're going to end up next. And part of the problem here also, Morgan. yeah. And part of the, the part of the problem here also is that um, HIPAA is largely being used as as an excuse by the county to not come up with any kind of tracking data or any kind of um, system in place to make sure that people aren't falling through these cracks. Because um, a more cynical person might suggest that they want people to fall through these cracks. They want to be able to go to Judge Carter and say, "Hey, look, we're doing what you're saying, and, and people just and don't want to engage." Small number. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. People just don't want to engage with these services and um so you have these people that uh i mean like it's like it's like mo pointed out they they want to um engage with services but when you're offering them uh, a placement at a shelter that's going to exacerbate their mental illness or where they have previously been sexually assaulted or previously had their belongings stolen um and they opt not to do that they they really are just dumped somewhere and it really is just left up to us to try to track them down and then find them bring them to the judge and then on a case-by-case basis tell the judge what's happening and i'm I'm glad you mentioned that too because i I want for listeners to consider what what it's like to have your personal effects sort of come and go all the time i mean how and so maybe some they're keeping records you know for helping tracking and that kind of thing so where personal effects ends up is just another logistical issue we might want to wrap our brains around the the first my very first involvement with um, the homeless encampments in the Santa Ana Riverbed um, back this was a little over a year ago where the encampment was much smaller and in a different location on the riverbed um, but when they went to to remove that encampment um, by the 57 freeway between um, uh, Orangewood and Chapman um, you know we were involved in the fight to, to prevent that which um, ultimately that was near the stadium yes and so. it ultimately resulted in the injunction um, that made the encampment really grow from there um, but I, I remember I'll never forget this moment okay. where um, uh, we, we looked at the notices that they had posted um, to the encampment they're basically saying you had to be out on this date you had to have all your stuff gone if you weren't able to remove all of your stuff it would be taken and um, stored at this storage site 22 miles away in Lake Forest. Beyond any cab voucher either. Beyond any cab voucher, and there's no public transit that goes out to these roads. So um, just out of curiosity, I decided, well, you know, I, I'll probably have to drive some of my friends down to pick up their stuff at the storage lot. So let me let me plug in this address and drive Where down to the it? store. It didn't exist. It was it was an empty field in the middle of uh, Lake like a Forest. landfill, right? Yeah, just a, just not not even a landfill. I mean, it was a, just, a, just a big one. empty grass area that sort of abutted Tribuco Canyon from uh, from Lake Forest. Um, they had printed the, they they claimed that they had printed the address wrong, and they actually meant a different storage lot that was several miles away from the address that they gave. But they were sending people twenty two miles to a non existent storage lot to get property that wasn't being stored. And, and and that was really one of the big things that opened up my eyes for me to really see how willing the county is to um, just really exacerbate the difficulty um, for survival that these people already face just in an effort to drive them out of an area. And can you just give us like two or three vivid uh, examples of what was recovered? What kind of personal effects they said, alas, I found it or what they were looking for? Just or think about that. Well, 
Jordan had something to add. I to was that. just going to say that's that's when the county even tries to put up this pretense of storing people's property. Uh, with a lot of the uh, encampment removals that were happening uh, before recently, before there was a lot more legal advocacy involved, uh, they would just take like, for example, in the riverbed and other areas of the riverbed that were cleared earlier, you know, last year. They would just declare an area, people in the area, an area of the riverbed to be trespassing, right? Um, say that they all need to leave by a certain date, and if they hadn't left by then, they would just roll through with garbage trucks and throw away anything that was remaining. So I'd go there and help people move to different locations, uh, you know, people with disabilities, people who were not capable of moving all their belongings. And uh, I remember one time I put my backpack down while I was doing that, and I look over, you know, like a minute or two later. It's and gone. public works workers are looking through my backpack. They have my, my tablet in their hand, and they're about to throw away my backpack. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I finally understand a bit how they feel when somebody's rifling through your personal belongings and they're about to throw it away and that's everything you have, you know? And and when you are dealing with um, just sort of a, a county maintenance worker or, or even a police officer that's deciding what property is and is not storable... That's some discretion there. Exactly. And it results in these uh, very odd things where people will have... If they're disabled, they'll have, um, you know, but they maybe they don't have a wheelchair, but they may have a, a, an office chair, you know, with wheels on it that helps them for mobility. Well, you know, to a county maintenance worker, a beat up old office chair, that's trash. But to this person that's on the riverbed, uh, that's or this infrastructure. Person, exactly. This is vital for it's not just infrastructure; it's vital for their no, survival. You right. know, and 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 um, that's again, that's not one of these hypotheticals. It's a thing we've seen over and over again. Yeah, uh, just to provide one more concrete Jordan? example of one that that that, uh, that Muhammad was involved in. We know yeah. somebody down on the riverbed uh, who was arrested on a minor probation violation for having a knife that, you know, it was like a kitchen knife. It wasn't something that he would use to hurt anyone. Um, and uh, when the, the, the police were taking his stuff and storing it along the riverbed, uh, they kept his tents, but they threw away his seizure medication, right? That's, yeah, because well, this, that's this man label. was a victim that of, says, a, that a says, violent crime years ago. He had wow. been shot in the head. And as a consequence, he gets seizures. He had a seizure while they were taking him away for the probation violation. And uh, then they threw away his medication. And we had to go through this whole process of trying to get him more medication. Um, and that was just a nightmare, of course. And, and luckily, I mean, the, the, in that particular instance, there was this was a very publicized uh, removal and there were advocates and news cameras and lawyers on the ground. So, you know, I think it did ultimately, after quite a bit of headache, it did have a happy ending. But that is one instance. And you can just think of the of the hundreds or over a thousand people that are living on the streets that don't have that, you know, that don't have those people there to, to, to kind of make sure that this does come come out OK. Okay, so now, uh, yes, Mohammed. And one final thought on that. People gave up a lot, and, and they took our word, and they trusted the county um, at our urging. They left a lot of their belongings behind. Um, when the county puts out statistics of how much refuse was left and how many thousands of tons of garbage that was left, that's people's stuff. Right. And they were encouraged to leave that stuff behind and they were encouraged to downsize considerably, go into these hotels because it was sort of um, their their path uh, to getting stability and to getting housing and that they weren't going to be dumped on the streets. That's the idea that they had. So they gave up a lot of their stuff voluntarily. The vast majority um, of people um, gave up almost everything they had except for a small chunk full of belongings. Um, that they could transport to these motels. Um, so that's, I mean, unfortunately, um, what they've sacrificed, and we'll see how little they get for that sacrifice or how much they get for that sacrifice 
Um, I, I do think that, you know, moving forward, um, we are probably going to see a, a positive outcome for people. But like Morgan mentioned earlier, it's going to be um, at the behest of Judge Carter. So that's, I think, where the county is at right now. Um, is is that Yes. Oh, I, here, why don't I just let guests know, for those of you who've just tuned in, you're listening to Ask a Leader. It's on Radio KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My guests are Mohammed Ali, attorney and founder of the Orange County Poverty Alleviation Coalition, and Morgan Degas and Jordan Hoiberg of the Orange County Catholic Worker. And we're talking about now the situation in Orange County, at where the, the, as Mohammed puts it, the, it's a behind. Between a rock and a hard place situation, two lawsuits in the Ninth Circuit Court, and the Eighth, is it the judge using, is he invoking the Eighth Amendment himself? Who who's brings up the Eighth Amendment is in play here? I mean, our, our lawsuit does bring up the Eighth That's Amendment. That's the lawsuit They're alleging saying that, that anti-camping okay. ordinances are cruel and unusual punishment when there's no alter- shelter alternatives for people. So the, the the shelter beds are issue, and one of you was saying there was maybe up to 4,000 4, 4, or 50. 4,500 beds that are uh, in sort of in play here. And then the there's the uh, American Disability Act Legal Aid Society Ramirez case. So I, maybe you can sort of talk about how those figure into where this rock in the hard place is for that. It's almost it's a pickle. There's residents in between two locations, hypothetical and un, uh, unpalatable, unconscionable right. so during Holy okay, Week. There, there's two lawsuits. One is the Catholic Worker lawsuit. It alleges that there are far fewer homeless, uh, there are far fewer homeless shelter beds than there are homeless people, and so it's cruel and unusual punishment to arrest them for sleeping outside when they have no alternative. That is about just the number of beds, right? And also about whether the county is providing a reasonable alternative. Um, so you could argue that some of these uh, placements are not reasonable alternatives and functionally not beds and shouldn't factor into the calculus. Um, so when the county, for example, starts claiming that um, the capacity at these shelters keep growing, even though their physical buildings and these buildings aren't growing to accommodate the number of people um, they uh, cram in there, um, the judge has actually called that nonsense. And that's in his words. Uh, that's his word that he used. He said the capacity um, at this shelter um, is closer to is actually, you know, the original um, uh, number that the county claimed, which is 380 um, at, at the courtyard shelter in Santa Ana, the capacity is not 380, not 400 as the county claimed, or not 450 as the county now claims. Um, so uh, when when the judges also looked at the the, the Kramer Place shelter in in Anaheim, which is the um, other county facility that's open year round, um, he's also said that that has inappropriately you know crammed people. Um, into too confined of a space um, where people feel unsafe. There was actually women's beds that were put into the men's area, um, and and simply not enough. It's simply not enough. And so uh, that's are really they keeping the records there? That Can, is that reliable? Is there a reliable record keeping there at both the the bridges at Kramer and the courtyard transition center? So uh, yeah, I mean they oh. have. Sorry, Morgan, go ahead. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so so we, we know a couple of people that work for agencies that are referral agencies to the Bridges Shelter. Like? So uh, Mary's Kitchen, good example. Okay. I mentioned them earlier. They okay. can refer people to the Bridges Shelter. Um, but there's lots of other agencies that can refer them to um, uh, various police departments, nonprofit agencies. Uh, CityNet can refer people over there. Um, and uh, as we've been working with um, the county on a lot of this, um, you know, because, again, right now we're kind of, 
trying to get people to engage with the county a little bit here. Um, we've asked for them to send us these updated numbers. And um, the impression that I'm getting from from everybody, be it the nonprofits that refer people there, um, also the county workers, is that they they don't know this more than a, a like in terms of tracking the availability for these things. The numbers change every single day, and they have no idea what's going to be available tomorrow, the next day. They can tell you what's maybe available at this particular second. If you ask them what's available at this particular second, they can look outside and be like, "Well, we got one, two, three, four, and then tell you a number. Um, and lately what's been happening is the county says that's not enough. We need, to, we need to get more people in there. We need to cram more people in there. And so they've been trying to add beds, but that number fluctuates so wildly it's almost impossible to plan around because it's all over the place. Because the, there is no real tracking method because this is being done so, so haphazardly. As it, like they're inventing this process as they're trying to implement it. Jordan? I think right. to provide and, an and example. The and yes. the implication is if we know without really knowing specific data uh, about availability at shelter beds and the number of people on the streets, um, we do know that it's simply insufficient. And the Judge Carter, when he um, essentially uh, acknowledges it, a, yeah, when he when he, he basically acknowledged this um, in, a, in a filing a couple of days ago. Um, so that that is that is essentially what's at stake um, in the Catholic worker case is um, essentially an injunction from the county enforcing their camping ordinances and from individual cities from enforcing their camping ordinances if there are more homeless people than there are shelter beds. As far as the Ramirez case is concerned, yes. that's the Legal Aid Society lawsuit, and that is based on the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, saying that it's discriminatory um, against people with disabilities um, to not accommodate them um, and their disabilities at these facilities. So you could say that the first case, the Catholic worker case, is about the quantity of beds. The second case is about qualitatively, are they accommodating people with disabilities, um, which does call into question what are the impacts on people when crammed into these shelters that often exacerbate their um, you know, mental health conditions and physical disabilities. Um, so that case is interesting because one of the biggest law firms in the world, uh, Latham & Watkins, um, was just... Um, hired as pro bono counsel in that case. Well, they um, were. So that, and that, that, and that happened last week. Um, so that's a significant uh, factor as well. There are some, some big guns. I think another right. Uh, right. interesting element of the Legal Aid Society lawsuit is that it also alleges the county has several hundred millions of dollars of state and federal funding that it has, I, I believe, and Muhammad could correct me on this, a fiduciary duty to spend. On the mental health, though, it's a mental health qualifier. Uh, yes, mental health. It's I not general too, general though. housing. No, no, not okay. general housing. It, well, it actually okay. So, mental health services act money, which comes from Prop sixty three, which is the one percent tax on millionaires. That money has accumulated in the hundreds of millions, and that money can it's be just used Orange on County housing alone. for people with mental health um, uh, disabilities. Um, and that's the seventy million dollars that the county is allocating today um, to uh, give to developers uh, with specific projects um, to build housing for um, people with mental uh, disabilities. And that's something that I think is an unqualified success on behalf of um, all of the five different law firms that have brought these two cases. Um, the county also does have, you know, general 
uh, revenue that I can spend, and it would be cheaper to spend that money. A UCI, uh, a UCI School of Sociology conducted this study last year um, that shows that the cost of homelessness to our communities is $300 million. That's the, that's the cost of having chronic homelessness, and we would be saving $45 million a year if we simply put everybody who is on the streets, who's been on the streets for more than a year, um, and been on the streets with, with, with physical and mental afflictions um, into permanent supportive housing um, with wraparound services, um, that would save our community money. So it would also save us the enormous human cost of watching these people die on the streets, which is typically, you know, about 200 to 300 people die every single year on the streets of Orange County, one of the most affluent counties in the country. So, I mean, the, 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 it's, it's, it's fiscally irresponsible, and it's, it's certainly morally reprehensible not to be spending the available resources that we have, you know, tens of millions of dollars in grants uh, from the federal government that we're not spending, um, like huge sums of money of available funds that we're not even applying for. Um, and, 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 and that's something that um, the county is facing increasing pressure from, not, not the least of which from the city of Irvine. Right. Their, their complaint, you know, filed against the county of Orange, um, argues that the county has mismanaged this problem so extensively um, that it has, it has actually created this crisis, which is now dumping on the city of Irvine. Now, well, the city of Irvine's lawsuit is something I do want to get into. Yes, we have just a few. And I want, but let me just, I want to put one little data point out for listeners is that HUD, the federal agency, estimates an annual cost of services to homeless people is between $30,000 and $50,000 per year. So just for people to consider where a house for a shelter for somebody gets to address that expense and it, at, you know when we're thinking on an individual basis so what you were going to say Mohammed, about that one that lawsuit okay so the, the Irvine is basically case. suing the county of orange saying no way no how no tent city um in irvine and uh, this is a problem because the county's proposal was not right was not detailed you could argue right. that if the county had a detailed proposal um, that it put forward, um, the city of Irvine would also be up in arms because they weren't consulted. So it's kind of a lose-lose. Either they have a plan, That's Irvine wasn't rocket. consulted, or they don't have a plan, uh, in which case, um, how dare you have this half-faced attempt uh, to dump homelessness in our city. Um, and so, and Irvine essentially uh, suing over this proposal without having read any of the details, um, essentially is a rejection of sheltering poor people in Irvine on principle. It's basically saying the entire concept of sheltering people in Irvine is wrong. And I think that that's, that's morally reprehensible. Irvine does not have the moral high ground in this lawsuit. And I want to be very clear on that. I want to be very clear. They've hosted a petition on their website, and they've spread this petition that has done nothing but elevate tensions and, 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 and angered their residents to the extent that they're chanting, no homeless in our city. They're going to the County Board of Supervisors. They're signing this petition. There's over 7,000 signatures on this petition. And if I could read a short excerpt from that, from that petition, which Irvine totally supports and it's posted on the website. Here's what 7,000 people signed on to. The, the quote starts, um, it is well documented in many urban areas of various sizes throughout the country that such an increase in transient population all too often causes a large increase in property and violent crime. 
parentheses, car prowls, residential burglary, shoplifting, assaults, murder, uh, drug dealers, youth and crimes, health problems, uh, public urination, sex acts, fence needles in parks and other public areas, hygiene problems, unsightly loitering, harassment, and danger from aggressive panhandling, coupled with a sharp drop in safety of public areas, libraries, trails, parks, bus stops, arena parking lots, community centers. And, of course, there is the unavoidable drop in home prices and business growth. And to that I say, so shame, shame on, on Irvine. Irvine. So here, I'm, I'm shame gonna... on Irvine. Shame on Irvine residents. I'm going to shame on all those people for seeing the poor this way. I'm... That is completely unacceptable. So, so Mohammed, I'm thinking and taking a, a, a leaf out of the booklet for the environmental justice brothers and sisters there that are adjacent to the oil refineries. They do toxic tours. How about during Holy Week, Passover, and the end of Noru's? We do some encampment tours for the truly righteous in Orange County to disengage that xenophobic attitude about an unsheltered person and, and get real with what they have to face, that they're, what an ordeal their well, and, life is. And here's, here's the other and aspect then we got of it. We got 60, One of the county supervisors named Todd Spitzer voted against this proposal, proceeded to go to these other cities, and has angered people and has engaged in demagoguery. And one of his colleagues on the uh, County Board of Supervisors, Sean Nelson, stated quite plainly that Todd Spitzer is losing in the polls and he wants to be D.A. And that's why he's doing this. He wants to be D.A. He wants to be the county's next top top. Um, There's some history between him and the current district attorney, Tony Rakakis. He was tapped for this position. He was promised that he was going to be the next DA. He was the top, um, you know, uh, assistant uh, d- uh, district attorney in um, the uh, in the county. Then he was fired there, and he's wanted this position. He's wanted Tony Rokakis's job ever since. And his polls indicate that the Santa Ana Riverbed was really politically um, unpopular and that he would come out as a hero if he okay. cleared the riverbed. And that's exactly what Andrew Doe, another county supervisor, accused Todd Spitzer of doing, is promising to clear out the entire Santa Ana riverbed in 30 days Mohammed, we, a plan. that's where so we've these, run these, over. We can't, I can't, we can't continue any longer. We've got sure. more material than we had time for today. We had such invigorated activists be our guests today. I want to thank all of you, Mohammed Ali, attorney and founder of the Orange County Poverty Alleviation Coalition, and Morgan Dangus and jo- Jordan Hoiberg of the Orange County Catholic Org. Thank you, gentlemen, for being on the show today. Thank you for having thank us, Claudia. Well, that was my wrap. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening.